0: Welcome into WH Unfiltered, uh, an and all-swift current edition uh, this evening with my co-host Sean Mullen and also Chad Leslie, the general manager and uh, director of scouting for the Swift Current Broncos, who's, uh, that, that job never ends, does it, Chad?
1: No, you know what, it's uh, 24-7 and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing, obviously, if you love to do it. Uh, I like being on the road, I like uh, being in the ranks watching games. It's kind of been a passion for me for a long time, so it's a... Uh, doesn't feel like work at all
0: and you're uh you're out on the uh, on the grind doing some some scouting work as as we speak right
1: yeah just uh, traveling back to swift current here for a day or two and then uh, heading through alberta and then out to bc on the bc swing and uh we'll do some scouting while our team is out there as well for the next uh, uh from the 9th till about the 18th uh we're out there and then on the way back so yeah it's uh going to be a great opportunity for our guys to get on the road and, and bond a little bit we've been banged up pretty good uh, through camp and then obviously now we're you know getting five players back into our lineup that uh you know we've been missing uh ryan mccleary and Nolan pickering obviously so um and then just getting some other guys back three dick and connor gabriel and uh, caleb y Rostock at some point so you know we've been missing a lot of guys uh, all the way through the first part of the season and uh yeah, so it's good to get on the road and uh, get some bonding
2: going. I was going to say, I mean, it's not always great to, to have this trip early while you're trying to get your team, but now that you're getting a lot of players back, it does feel like an opportunity for chemistry. And, you know, you have a number of returning players, but do you think this is really good, especially for bringing some of these key pieces that are added to the team in the summer to get the right mix with them now that they have a chance to bond?
1: I think so. And I think, you know, obviously the guys were around each other a little bit at camp before they took off for NHL camps and everything. So they they have a good idea of, uh, of how everybody is and how everybody gets along. And, and the one commonality with the guys away from camps is that they're always checking in. They're always excited to get back and wanting to know what's going on with our group. And um, so, you know, it's a positive thing when your guys are away at uh, NHL experience, but they're still... Uh, reaching in and, and excited to get back to Swift Current, so we're really excited.
0: Well, and that's you know we talk about the the, the Broncos being on on the rise now, and and that's probably a, a newer thing as far as having more guys away at camp. I mean, that's you know than than you had in the, in the last couple of years. It's probably a pretty nice problem to have.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it. You know, you know when you look at. You know how we've built the team, and we've built it through the draft, and and uh, it's been a slow process for sure. But it's been a necessary one in regards to trying to layer in and and try to get to that point where we're a playoff team year in year out. And I think the last two years we were one win away from being in the playoffs both years, which was a hard pill to swallow, especially last year. It was a disappointing result. And um, but I think that uh, we're we're going in the right direction for sure. And like I said, we're layered in a little bit and. And our older guys uh, certainly have been pretty high-quality players. That 0-4 draft class that we had, obviously, with the NHL picks, five of them, and then you know Tyson Jugnath as well getting picked by Seattle as well. We, we had a good draft, and that's been the core for our group here for the last couple of years. So we're excited. Uh, we've always felt that this is a 19- and 20-year-old league, and, and uh, I think this is the first year in the last few that we haven't had 10 or 11 school age kids. So it's kind of our turn now to try to – take it to another level and, and get going. So.
2: You you mentioned that draft of the 2004 players, that, and it's one of the best drafts the Broncos have ever had, period. You know, when you look throughout it, not just the players that made it, but the, the talent uh, that went elsewhere even. As you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the is as one of them, but just an exceptional draft from, from top to bottom. So if you're reviewing, you know, what went into that draft, was, was there – something different about it what what do you think helped lead to that draft in particular being so successful for you guys
1: well i think you know just based on when i came into swift current um and and i was tasked with helping you know obviously to build that team through the draft you you look back at the cycle of how things went and uh when manny and those guys are were, were on that run and they made those deals and and that sort of thing, you know, you look, you don't look at what happened two years previous to that, you know, we kind of went 10 years back and looked at their drafts all the way through and, and the amount of guys per year that, you know, they were averaging from drafts of the former regime. And, and, and then also too, you look at the amount of draft picks that they didn't have access to via trades or whatever, because there was a lot of trades to bring in some parts and, 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 you know, main, you know, maintain being in the playoffs and in a small market to make some money you need to be in the playoffs is very, very important. So try to analyze how the drafts went leading up to that run and, and all the assets that they used to try to build that team and, and win a WHL championship, which they did, which was amazing. Um, but, you know, for me, the one thing I thought was uh, was prevalent was that, you know, we need to fish from a different pond, so we focused on Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and, you know... I'm from Manitoba, southwest Manitoba, from Elkhorn, Manitoba, and, you know, I had a front-row seat uh, for many, many years to watch Kelly McCrimmon and the Brandon Reapings do it the right way. And um, so I've said before, if I ever got into a, a decision-making role in the Western Hockey League, that I was going to focus on Manitoba and Saskatchewan just because of, you know, the proximity, and and they're sometimes overlooked. Uh, not the sexier markets that you see with the Sports School League or Alberta and BC, where... You know the density of population. There's a lot of players that come from those regions, so that was the thought process for me, just in in regards to where we were lo- locating players. And then I had a comfort level with what I was seeing with them. And you know, definitely we were picking some guys that physically weren't developed, but we liked their sense and we liked their individual skill. And and thought, you know, at 18 and 19, we're, we have the ability, if things progress the right way, uh, to have some pretty top-end players. So that's just kind of the thought process that went into it.
0: I mean, you you mentioned a couple of you know, real you know common household names in our league. You know, with uh, with Manny Viveros and and uh, you know over there in Brandon with Kelly McCrimmon, and, and if you can, yeah, if you can emulate the success that, that those gentlemen had, I mean, I mean you're gonna you're gonna go a long ways.
1: Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think it's uh, you don't reinvent the wheel. I think you just try to look at. Teams and, and people that have had success, and you just try to emulate it. It's it's not rocket science for sure. And by no means do I think I'm the smartest guy in the room. And we obviously we haven't been in the playoffs, and we haven't proved anything yet. So, but uh, you just try to do things the right way, and, and you look at people that have done it the right way, and and I think you just try to follow that.
2: It's not often you get a player drafted as late as you drafted Owen Pickering that turns into a first round draft pick. So, sort of talk about the story of of finding him and and what made you believe that he could be the kind of player he's turned into.
1: Well, I never imagined that Owen would end up being six foot five. Let's, you know, put that out there right away. Obviously that's uh, just one of those things that just happens and you get very lucky with, but, you know, I thought he'd be six foot one. His dad's a big guy. Mom's, you know, tall. And uh, I knew there was going to be some size there, but he was five seven when we drafted him. And, you know, he was playing on a team in Eastman that uh, their top deep pairing at that time was Dent Matejcik, uh, And Spencer Penner, now Spencer Penner, went in the second round to Seattle, and that was a pretty prominent pairing on that team, but Owen was on that second pairing. And and I just liked his sense, I liked the way he thought the game, his puck skill and his decision-making, I thought were really good. And you could just tell, you know, a lot of things were based on lack of physical strength for Owen. So um, he was uh, probably, if you ask my staff, he was probably one of the most important guys for me to get. But, you know, fortunately, we, we... you know, made a a choice as to where we thought we could get him, and uh, based on, you know, players that were similar in regards to him uh, out of Manitoba, we just felt that that's where we could get him, and we were very fortunate we were able to get him in the ninth round, but I believed in him uh, always as being a really good Western League player, and then obviously, you know, he grows to be six for five, and then gets on everybody's radar and ends up being a first-round pick, so um, I thought for sure we had a good junior, and, uh, but obviously now we have uh, an NHLer on our hands and it's again a story that uh, you believe in the person and the family and the player but you get lucky with a couple of things that happen and um I don't think anybody would have predicted that he'd be a first-round NHL pick when into the draft. So.
0: well that's the that's the the key I mean when we talk to GMs on uh, around the league on on the show I mean it's you know you you, how much of it's identifying talent how much of it's you know refining the talent and developing the player you know once you have them in your system and then how much of it's just you know luck as far as you know growing into a you know a really desirable size like that i mean it's kind of you know you got to somehow hit on all three things to 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 make these things work yeah for sure it's it's
1: it's it's a a huge amount of luck for sure and uh, but if you believe in what you see and and how you evaluate uh, and you stick to it and if you're making some mistakes then you got to figure out pretty quickly what what went wrong but if you find commonalities in players and and uh, and, and, and how you're looking at things and comparables I think uh, you can get some things figured out pretty quickly
2: when you came in to start working with the Broncos um, after your time you know elsewhere in Verdon and in, in Saskatoon I mean, It was a time of complete upheaval. You know, the team threw all their chips in the middle to win the championship in 2018, and it it left you guys trying to mine every corner of the world you could to to find talent, and going through a couple years where you just had to accept that you weren't going to have a lot of skill in your lineup. So, you know, when you came in, yourself, the scouting staff, Dean Brockman, you know, what was the process in order to, you know, start this trip back to where you can be among uh, the better teams in the league again. You know, knowing it was going to be a long journey, you know, did you guys have a, kind of a sit-down strategy session to, to map out the way to go? What was that What was that like from the beginning of a total rebuild? Well, I think
1: we knew that we had to be patient. And, and if we were going to build it through the draft, and obviously we weren't going to be able to use some assets to go and acquire, you know, uh a band-aid uh, to cover the hole in the dike or whatever, you know what I mean, the double guff, bubble gum to, you know, to plug the hole for a short period of time. So we knew that we were going to have to take it on the chin a little bit. Uh, obviously, I don't want to, you know, uh, disrespect any of uh, those players early on that came in and, and did a tremendous job for us night in, night out with their work ethic and compete. And we just didn't have enough depth uh, a lot of nights. And, you know, early on in games, I felt in the first couple of years when we were rebuilding our guys worked hard and played very well and we were right there with some teams and then you know, just at the end of the games we saw some separation where our minutes, uh, where guys should be playing these amount of minutes ran out and, and uh, we just ended up on the wrong side of things for sure. So, it was long, it was tough, pride swallowing for sure when you're losing a lot of games and it's hard to find positives a lot of nights and um, but we knew, you know, that was the way that we had to do it for a couple of years, just use our assets as much as we can for draft picks and and uh, some younger players if we could bring those guys in so that was the plan Um, and obviously we had a couple of trades that uh, were very fruitful for us Uh, the Joel Holfer trade you know just talking as a group as regards to maybe take a a one last first round pick in that deal to get a couple extra picks later on I believe you know those six draft picks that we got from that trade uh, you know helped us substantially rebuild I think and um but you know just trying to figure things out as we were going along being patient and and not being focused on results I think that was huge uh, just on the process of how we we're trying to do it but you know we made mistakes too I mean the one thing I'll always talk about is uh you know we brought Drew Englott in last year and and uh that character and compete and that leadership uh, quality that we had you know probably we should have uh, brought Uh, some guys in like that you know a couple years earlier for that 04 group and everybody else that came along after just to give those guys an opportunity to be around that Um, so we we did a lot of things right we did a lot of things wrong too we made a lot of mistakes and and tried to learn from that as quickly as possible but uh, you know I I think that being patient and just understanding where we were and, and not getting too focused on on a result, and and not letting our ego get in the way of of what the plan was. There definitely was a plan for sure.
0: You know, it's it's interesting to, to see to hear you say that, Chad, about you know making mistakes and being cognizant of it. I mean, you know, here we are, here we are, three you know guys of the, roughly the same age. Like, you know, we don't you know all Prairie guys too, and we don't. Well, I guess Sean's not a Prairie guy, but you know we don't like admit mistakes like it's okay, always I hear about that all the time so, so. <laughs> it's it's always somebody else's deal like you know it it and, and it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of refreshing to uh you know to be able to to own something i mean that's that's the only way we're going to you know on ice off ice i mean that's that's the way we're going to grow and, and develop is to to be cognizant of those things and it's just it's just interesting you know hear, hearing you, you you talk about it in that way
1: well, I think it's important. I mean, you know, it, it's important to make mistakes early. You know, to 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 be able to understand why you made it. You know, the decision making that went into it, and reevaluate and kind of change your train of thought and, and get on the right track. It's it's always so important, I think, for young scouts or guys scouting to to have you know that five year window of players from fourteen to nineteen, that first cycle that you go through scouting just to see, hey, and and the one thing I always try to make sure that guys understand is put your thoughts out there, you know, don't hide behind, you know, sitting on the fence. And then if he turns out, say, well, I knew who's going to turn out or, you know, be bold, be, you know, make some predictions as to how you think guys are going to turn out. And if you're wrong, well, nobody cares, but you know, you just got to figure out quickly why you were wrong and reevaluate and talk to guys that are right more times than wrong. Um, And I think that's so important to make a lot of mistakes early just to, to bounce back and and figure out why quickly. And and then I think you're going to be on the right track. But, you know, I've always been a big believer of servant leadership and understanding that, you know, if things are going good, then it's, you know, my players and it's my coaching staff. And if things aren't going well, then it's on my shoulders. And that's just the way it needs to be. So,
2: You were the uh, director of scouting uh, solely the, the first two years with the Broncos. Then, you know, suddenly early in your fourth year, uh, Dean Bronkman resigned and, and you found yourself thrust into the role uh, of general manager, but not permanent as well as Devin brought into the role of head coach and, and in a you know, place to prove yourselves. Um, how much had you been preparing yourself for that moment? How much were you taken off guard? I mean, what was that like for you to suddenly, you know, it, it doesn't often happen that you're a month into a year and suddenly you're taken over as a general manager. So what was that experience like for you and Devin and, and how do you reflect on that year?
1: Yeah, I think you know, it it was an interesting process for sure, and and Dean was always very good with me and in, and in, uh, giving me a lot of opportunity to help and a lot of say and and uh, which I appreciated so much. And, and he always said, you know, when he felt I was ready, he was going to step aside. And and uh, you know, there was a lot of things that went into Dean doing what he did, but uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that he gave me. Obviously, and um, it was unique. Obviously, you're starting. Um, in a situation where I was excited to be the assistant GM. I, I am a big believer of taking your time and making sure you don't take a step uh, sooner than you should uh, and just, you know, be prepared all the way through. So, you know, I was really excited to just be the assistant GM for a couple of years and settle into that role. And, and then obviously plans changed. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful that the board uh, felt confident in me and my abilities to, to do this on the interim basis. And, and give me an opportunity uh, to, to step into the full-time role. So um, it was it was interesting. It was um, something that I think I, I appreciate all the experience that I had in Junior A in regards to being, you know, an assistant GM, the director of player personnel, running drafts. That Junior A experience in Manitoba and Saskatchewan that are both drafting leagues, I don't think drafting leagues uh, early on, I didn't give it enough credit to, uh, you know, the jobs are very similar, just a different scope. Um, So when you've made trades before, when you've run drafts before, when you've run camps before, you know, all that experience transfers over. It's just on a larger scale when you come into the Western Hockey League. So I was somewhat more prepared than I thought I would be for sure. But I also was very fortunate that I had so many of the older GMs in the league and guys, uh, you know, that I really admire and look up to reach out and and be really generous with their time. And and a lot of guys give me a lot of uh, advice that uh, certainly – My uh, eyes and ears were wide open and my mouth was shut. I I really appreciated how well I was treated uh, by the guys in the league. And I don't think that can be said enough because it's dog-eat-dog. That's the feel for a lot of people looking at the Western League. Uh, But I I must say that uh, my experience and and how the older experienced GMs in the league treated me was was amazing. So um, I was very grateful for that.
2: When you talk about scouting in Junior A, one thing I can think of right away is you have to be watching players outside of the guys who jump off the screen, you know, that, that everybody's coming to see. You have to find somebody who's a little bit um, rough around the edges or you can see a development path because if they're, you know, an automatic, then everybody knows about them. So do you think doing that for teams at that level helps you keep an eye on those types of players as you moved up to the Western League as well?
1: I think the one thing it certainly did was just obviously when you're when you're running a January draft and you're drafting the same age players as the Western League, you're trying to pick players in the first round with your first picks that, you know, you feel are, are on the cusp of being Western League guys, but are not quite good enough. And so when you make some of those picks and you lose those guys to the Western League, you figure out pretty quickly the commonalities that they have, whether it's compete or, individual skill or character or whatever that allowed them to play in the western they say you know an eighth or a seventh or a ninth round pick uh, as opposed to being a first round junior a player that uh, would be you know a real top end guy so I think you know studying things again and, and understanding when you're wrong and trying to figure out uh, quickly not to be wrong again uh, was a huge benefit and and I think you know, when we look at some late-round picks that we've had with Havitson in the seventh round and Pickering and, you know, even Philman and those guys in the fourth, I, I really do feel like it's that, you know, practice and training that we had at the junior level to, to try to find guys that are good enough, uh, not quite good enough to play in the Western League. And, and then you learn a lot from the guys that end up playing in the Western League's late-round picks. So um, long-winded answer, but that's uh, I feel, was hugely important for me to have some success in drafting the league here.
0: You, you mentioned josh Filmon and and you know being a fourth round bannon pick and and you know what kind of a you know revelation was was seeing him you know flirt with 50 goals last year and will you know surely surpass that you know assuming you know good health he'll you know be a real star in this league i mean how how uh how much easier does it make your job having that kind of firepower on on this uh, swift current team
1: yeah we you know we feel very fortunate uh, when we look at uh uh the years that a lot of our 18-year-olds had last year i mean you know josh filmon had you know 75 points and 40 47 goals and matt ward had 74 points and you know matt's you know from day one pretty much been a point per game guy since he's been in the league and and a guy that a lot of teams don't like playing against but a lot of guys admire because he's undersized and he competes and you know, so those guys, and then Connor Hvitsson, I think, had uh, 65 points in 59 games, and and then Owen Pickering having I think 45 points as a 18 year old defenseman. You know, those are those are pretty good seasons for 18 year old guys. And I always say, like Steenbergen had a really great year as a as an 18 year old for sure. But you know, when you look at guys like Glenn Godden, those guys that had tremendous impact, you know, people remember Glenn at 19 and 20. But I. I think a lot of people forget, you know, Glenn Godden wasn't Glenn Godden until he was 19 years old. So, you know, we feel really uh, excited about our 04 group and the years that they had as 18 uh, year old players in the league. Um, and Reed Dick, I think, too. You, when you see Reed this year at camp, unfortunately, he was injured early, but you just saw a different kid in Reed coming in at 19 than you saw at 18. He was a man now, where he's looked like a boy every time he's come back. So, you know, we're excited about the progressions that those guys had and the experiences that those guys had as 18 year olds uh, when we're looking at our group this year. So, uh, that group is hugely important for us for sure.
2: Well, you just mentioned the name Tyler Steenbergen, and, and I can't help it. I've made this comparison before. I don't know if you've seen it, but Brady Bernie, you know, to me just followed so much of the Steenbergen trend. That first year where he's really just trying to figure the league out, but you can see he's an intelligent player. The second year where you could see in training camp that he was just almost there, hitting a lot of posts around the net, but it's not going in and then exploding in the second half. And uh, in Steenbergen's case, he made it to 20, Bernie, 18, but very similar seasons and now uh, a feature role on your offense. Do you see the the comparisons? Do they make sense to you?
1: Well, I think, you know, obviously you would understand that comparison more than I would with me not maybe seeing Steenbergen enough at 18 and 17 for sure. But You know, I sure love Brady to have an 18-year-old season like he had. There's no doubt about it. But uh, definitely, we see a progression. And with Brady, we always talked about what things would look like at 17-and-a-half and and then 18-and-a-half. And and it's like lack of physical strength, obviously, and and just getting, you know, comfortable getting on the inside of the game a little bit more. Sometimes, as a younger player, Brady got stuck on the outside of the game, which is normal for an undersized player. But the one thing I really appreciate about Brady is his work ethic in the off season. And if you look at his lower half and, and, uh, and uh, if you look at his lower half and the work that he's put in, you know, you'd understand why, you know, he's starting to really uh, turn it up a notch here. Uh, but um, that's, uh, that's exciting. And I think that's, you know, work away from the rank that Brady has done in the summertime. That's allowed him to, to kind of put himself in a spot where he's starting to have some success and really here
0: is there still the the Steenburger burger in the in in the rank is that the this the, the, the uh hamburger is that is that available
1: no, no. <laughs> no there unfortunately is not uh, we've uh, we've made the menu a little more streamlined a little quicker for some quicker service there for sure but uh, no no longer too,
0: too many too many syllables <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I, just, yeah. I, I i just i loved i love that era uh, you know Broncos watching from you know a, a, a different country and halfway across that one you know I mean just I, I was really really into that run and you know listening to, to Sean call the games and you know and I just wanted to just want to touch on that being you know I've never been to the Iplex so
1: oh for sure yeah no it uh when we watch video obviously and it's something we try to show the guys just you know I think they got a taste of it last year too and uh, when we had Regina in town and sold out uh the Bedard night. And then obviously our opening night here, our fan support was tremendous. Our home opener was amazing with the Hunter brothers and a lot of excitement and bringing some entertainment back to the rink and tailgating before it was uh, the office staff and the business staff did an amazing job for our home opener and our fan support was tremendous. And our, our players love when the Iplex is full, they get a tremendous amount of energy off of it. And and uh, when they watch the games from that run, uh, that magical run in 1718, there, you know, it's, it's something that all those guys to a man want to see happen here again this year for sure, and it's uh, something that really drives them. It's really exciting for them.
2: It's an analytical hockey fan in Swift Current, uh, as a lot of hockey fans in the Prairies are. But when the games start to become more important and the rink fills up, there, there's no place louder in the Western Hockey League, from my experience anyway.
1: Um, yeah, the players always just talk about how the fans feel right on top of them, you know. So it's, uh, it's a really exciting atmosphere for sure.
2: Chad, you had a real tale of, of two unique seasons from two years ago to last year. You know, Two years ago, not much expected of the Broncos. You ended up being a big surprise. You were, as you mentioned, one point away, one game away from a, a playoff spot. And it seemed like you know that group was arriving early. And then last year, um, higher expectations... Uh, did end up with a better record, but still ended up in the same place in the standings, and and more frustration that, that you went through in that process. Um, I imagine for for you as a first time GM and, and uh, your head coach as a first time head coach, Devin Pratt, a lot of learning experiences from what happened in both years. How do you reflect on you know kind of being ahead of schedule and then trying to balance those expectations last year and regrouping this year to to be where you think you should be. Yeah. You
1: know, they, they had a schedule. I think, you know, I, I don't focus too much on that year. I mean, it was just a situation where I think the one thing a lot of people appreciate about that group that year was just the, the, the amount of compete they had and, and they bounced back. Like we were down a lot in that season in games and came back and tied some games up and got some points late um, when it wasn't expected because our guys just continually fought back. And I think, that year, I think we had a lot of third-period comebacks uh, that got us some points that maybe we didn't deserve uh, based on the starts of the games that we had. But that was just, you know, a young group and and not getting out of the gate uh, the right way. And then fast forward to last year, where there was a lot of expectation and and certainly um, as a group we were disappointed and and nobody was more disappointed than me. And, and I, you know, that was on my shoulders the fact that we didn't make the the playoffs that year. That's on me in my in my opinion. And. You know we started two and seven with all of our players away at NHL camps and and uh, that was a tough start to get out of the gate and claw back and getting above 500 and then you know when you look back at the impact our o4 group had last year on our team statistically I think we were sitting anywhere between 58 to 64 percent I think of our production came from that o4 group and uh, a lot of nights uh, when some of those guys aren't in the lineup guys getting suspended a lot Josh Davies and and being out of the lineup. And then uh, we had a stretch where Connor Hibitson, I think was out of the lineup for nine games. And I think we were like 0-7-2 or something like that as well. So, I mean, while we were going through those stretches, you know, we're sitting there as a group saying, I really hope that this doesn't bite us at the end of the season. I really hope that this doesn't bite us at the end of the season. And I mean, you can pick games early on where, you know, we're tied with Regina at home and Connor Bernard, uh, breaks away from everybody and scores a breakaway goal with six or five seconds left in the game and just those things that just seem to happen to us uh, as a group and um, so I think reflecting on it yeah it was it was hard because the expectations were on us and maybe like I said again not having you know some older leadership uh, earlier on for those guys to help them out with those experiences uh, you know would have made a big difference and so that's why I of that I think it's on me and um, but, uh, you know, three goalies at the start of the year, too, just that was a tough situation. Another one for me that, uh, you know, we weren't exactly sure if Joey Rocher was ready to be a full time backup in the league as a 17 year old. And, and obviously, Reed was an 18 year old starter. So, you know, those things, too, all contribute. And will I ever have three goalies again? No, I'll never do that again. I think it was a really tough situation for all three of our guys, and they handled it beautifully. But, uh, You know, I think there's a lot of mistakes that, like you said, we made that uh, we look back on. And and that's why this summer as a group, you know, we did a lot of things uh, differently. We've added staff. We've got, you know, four or five assistant coaches now um, in and around there where before we had one or two. And, um, you know, we just put really good men around our young guys. and, And early on in the summertime, we did a lot of really unique things in regards to, having a little bit of a hockey summit. We had Todd McCollum come on and do a zoom with us. We had Andy Murray, we had Brad McHugh. And, you know, I wanted our coaching staff and our hockey staff staff to be exposed to all these guys and learn from them and, and, you know, make some connections. And, um, you know, we wanted things to feel differently for our players coming in because uh, in that room in Medicine hat, at the end of the season there, uh, it was a different feel. I walked around and hugged the players and talked to the players and, you could see how devastated everybody was. And there was just that expectation. I think that uh, that was really hard for us. So, uh, you know, we learned a lot from those experiences and, and I think that uh, we're more ready to handle things uh, now as we get going. And we've got all of our players coming back for the BC swing, uh, but definitely we learned a lot from that process. And, and I think uh, we carried some things forward that are going to benefit our group.
2: Well, I think, you know, not placing this on the young goalies, it's not, but, you had Isaac Poulter the year before, too, who was one of the most underrated goalies, I think, in the Western Hockey League because he played in front of teams that struggled for most of his career. But as a 20-year-old, he was a huge calming presence uh, and one of the better goalies in the league during uh, his veteran years. So, you know, when you go from that to guys who are still finding their way, naturally, there's going to be, a you know, a different result
1: yeah for sure and I, and again too that's the same old adage like i mean isaac Poulter wasn't isaac Poulter till he was 19 and 20 either so that just speaks to the quality of the league and, and guys you know i think needing to be patient and understanding that it's going to take a little bit longer than they hope to get where they need to get and um you know the runway is a lot longer than the guys think um i know guys want a lot of opportunity early and they think that they can handle it but uh Ultimately, the teams at the top of the league every year the one common thread with all of them is they've got anywhere between 9 and 13, 19 and 20-year-olds uh, usually. So um, there's a lot of learning that needs to happen, a lot of things, a lot of experiences uh, throughout the league that you learn every year that, that help you get to that point.
0: You know, both you guys are obviously really close to this, this organization. And just for, for the rest of us, I mean, it's just a really unique, situation as far as the smallest market in all the major junior small building you know community owned team board of directors I mean obviously Chad you you took on a second full-time job with the team and I doubt you're getting a second paycheck for it I mean you know what's what's it like as far as working with this particular you know organization that's really you know has a lot of unique characteristics that you know really aren't anywhere else in in, in junior hockey
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I've always talked about how this is a dream job for me in regards to just a lot of the little, um, little things that have led up to it. Uh, You know, I've got a lot of uh, connection to Swift Current. Uh, Grew up in Elkhorn, Manitoba, obviously, and we're best friends uh, growing up with the Kennedy family. So, Troy, Sheldon, and Sherry, obviously, are like family to our family. And um, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, we wouldn't get a chance to go into too many weekend games, but we were always there when Sheldon and Swift so Current came into town, and I just remember, you know, watching that team warm up, full ice warm-ups and how talented they were and the speed and the skill they had, it was just amazing to watch those guys warm-up was always my favorite when I was a kid, just full ice warm-ups, and they were flying and they were so dynamic, and um, you know, it's funny, we had a Tournament Champions, a big tournament in Elkhorn, where a lot of teams that would come in and billet and so we billeted Blake Knox one year, uh, which is really neat looking back on, uh, as well. And then, uh, when I went to start my junior hockey career, uh, Brad McHugh enlisted me in the Brett when I was a 15 year old. So, you know, just all these little connections that kind of, you know, have led to swift current. And I can honestly say, I always felt that I wanted to be involved in hockey after, uh, being a player and not very good player, obviously. So it was a shorter playing career, but, uh, always wanted to work in hockey and there's two teams I always kind of wanted to work for is the Brandon Weekings and the Swift Current Broncos. So for me, it's a, it's a thrill to, to, to be working for this organization and a real honor and you know, I'm grateful to the board of directors that we have a very diverse group uh, on that board and, and they all bring something uh, unique and, and uh, they've been excellent to me. They've given me a greater opportunity and if I'm being honest, you know, how daunting the task was uh after that championship season with all the assets that went out the door is probably a big reason why an inexperienced guy like me had an opportunity because it's probably something a lot of guys that would look at with experience say man that's going to be five or six years of of painful rebuild that uh you know in that point in their career uh maybe they just didn't want to have that opportunity so i know why i got my opportunity and i'm a smart enough guy to realize that it's uh it was an opportunity for me, for a young guy, to come in and cut my teeth, and, and I really appreciate it for sure. But uh, the support I got uh, from the board was tremendous and, and their belief in me, obviously. And yeah, you know what? I mean, I'm sure that uh, guys will make a little bit more in a lot of markets, but I got a, a really nice term from them and a lot of confidence from them in regards to doing the job and, and making decisions that are best for the Swift Current and Broncos and not best for Chad Leslie trying to get another the contract. So um, they've been amazing to me, and I've been very grateful.
2: Well, and it's interesting you mentioned the names like Todd McEwen and, and Brad McEwen as people you connected with this summer and you know talked about uh, strategies to move forward because so often these days in the Western League, it's become recycling and not in a negative way, but coaches who have experience, whether in junior or at the professional level, managers who have more experience, it seems like teams are always looking for somebody who's done it before, but... Those guys uh, are an example. You know, Todd McClellan came from the SJHL, became a Zach Adams Award winner in the NHL through his time in Swift Current and beyond. Uh, Brad McEwen was with, you know, Notre Dame before finding his way to, to Swift Current and becoming eventually the top go for Hockey Canada's world junior team. So when, when you and Devin, you know, look at guys like that who didn't have that previous experience and had the success and had great careers after their time in swift current is that a pretty good model for you guys as guys who came in you know without that uh, existing junior pedigree but have been given this opportunity
1: yeah for sure i mean um again we we understand that we were given uh, a tremendous opportunity and we don't want to squander it uh, it does give you some belief that you can do the job but uh you know obviously you have to understand that uh you know there's a lot of capable people uh, around that can do the job as well so you know I, I i didn't really look at it in that regard i just knew that you know we had to work hard we had to put our head down and, and try to do things the way that we needed to do for our market and, and i do think again the junior experience gives you that uh, understanding of what's important in small market and, and being accountable to our fan base is is really important you know it's it's great and it's nice when things are going well to be out and about but uh, you know, when, when things aren't going well, you have to be out there and you have to face them and you have to listen to what they have to say and, and be accountable. And, and I think it's really important on the corporate sales side, too, uh, that everybody in town knows that you're invested in this group and invest in the organization and wanting to make a difference. And, you know, that uh, that uh, game in, in Medicine Hat last year, the very next day, I was out and about with uh, one of our business uh, office people Delivering uh, some calendars and team pictures to some of our corporate partners and we were all disappointed then But everybody just wanted to be heard and once they were heard and you know, they knew that I was disappointed at well They were good, you know, it's uh, it's important in a small market to be accountable to be out there to be facing people and and uh, Just that understanding of it. I think is, is a really big benefit from from being in junior and knowing that as well. So um that's that's the experiences that i've drawn for sure it's it's nice knowing that those guys had success but uh you know by no means do i believe that i'm gonna have uh, the success that a brad McEwen had or you know Devin would love to have todd mcclellan's success but uh you know it gives you some hope but uh, certainly we just have to focus on the job at hand and, and try to make our team better every day and you know the process really is more important than the result and and our job is to develop men and, and uh, make them better people when they leave and try to get them to the next level as individual players. And I think uh, wins and losses are also very important. But uh, the measure of success, I think uh, there's a lot of ways you can measure success for sure. So. You,
0: know, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the game that game against Swift Current and, and the, or, uh, excuse me, against Medicine Hat and, the, and disappointment there for a second. I thought you were talking about the game you just had, which is a, which is a wild ride. What, what what was that, uh, that overtime thriller, like, even if he came up on the short end, I bet, uh, I bet that was still a lot of fun for the, for the fans.
1: I hope it was fun for the fans. Cause it wasn't very fun for us for sure. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, when you squander, uh, two, three goal leads in a game and score seven and, and don't get a result, uh, you know, that would have got us back to 500 and, and, uh, start our BC swing the right way. But, uh, you know, we gutted it out and we got a point out of it and, um, that's just a team that you can't put on the power play. And obviously when you got a 15 year old still out there, you know, McKenna, who's that special. It's, uh, you can't give those guys opportunities and looks that we did. But, uh, like I said, I was proud of our group, uh, for how they've handled things with us being short staff. We're playing against, you know, mostly teams that have everybody back. And I think that night we're missing five of our regulars. So, you know, again, guys doing an excellent job and having an opportunity that's going to go well for the future. And, uh, We see Jason McFall score his first goal as a 16-year-old defenseman, and a lot of guys having a lot of success uh, as young guys getting those opportunities. So, you know, as tough as it is to lose that one point, uh, I think you have to look past it and view the experience as a positive one for our group.
2: Well, and let's be honest, you know, in all likelihood, uh, McCleary and Pickering are your top two defensemen who are probably going to play 25 minutes a game. And you start the season without them, that's a massive, massive hole in your lineup. So it's experience these other guys get. But if you slot those guys back in and you think about, you know, a lot of the things that have happened in these games or the trouble points, I I have to imagine you're confident that those two can come in and calm the waters in those situations a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think the minutes is the most important thing you mentioned there. I mean, you know probably you get you know 50 to 55 minutes out of those two players a lot of nights pickering played 32 minutes 34 minutes last year for us so not that we want that that's not optimal for a guy to to perform well and and sustain it but uh you know those two guys will come in and, and calm things down for sure and and give guys like Peyton Kettles who I think has been tremendous to start the season but give him an opportunity to play more manageable minutes get some better matchups and, and and take a little bit of the pressure off for a 16-year-old defenseman coming in the league. So, you know, Fluker as well is playing a ton. A lot of guys are playing a lot of minutes. And uh, I think it just puts everybody back uh, uh, to the point where they're playing minutes that are manageable and, and they can have success.
2: Do you see a connection between uh, the way that Kettles plays and the way that Pickering uh, developed as well? You know, that kind of defenseman who plays in every situation, skates well, just smooth. And is there an opportunity uh, for him to kind of mirror Pickering in his development?
1: I think based on the opportunity that both of them get as young players in Swift Current, and, then and you know, I, I think Peyton uh, is going to be more insulated than, than Owen was. So uh, a lot of nights in the hub, which, you know, obviously I think when those guys came in, that being a 24-game season in the hub, you know Owen had an opportunity to get that sample size where we had a lot of defensemen go down and and he played a lot of minutes, but he also only had to do it over a 24-game stretch. So, it'll be interesting to see where Peyton's at in game 40 and game 50. Uh, Just being a young guy and being new to the league and the travel and, and having to deal with coming home from a late trip and going to school and having to be at the rink for practice and working out and you know, physically, it's going to be interesting to see after game 40 how he stands up to that. So I think their situations are a little bit different. Um, But I do believe that, you know, when the when at the end of the day, they're going to be in very similar
2: situations
1: in regards to draft and and, uh, how they progress. And and being NHL players, I believe, I I firmly believe that they both have that opportunity.
2: Well, I think it's fair to say, you know, fans have to, when evaluating, the next group of prospects after the o4s have to understand that those guys are not going to come in and get the same kind of minutes that the o4s got so you can't you can't look at the the o5 draft or the o6 draft and, and those guys and say well how come they didn't match the production I mean not every draft is going to be the same but at the same time those guys are coming in and they're being more slowly fed into those roles whereas you kind of had to throw the o4s in the deep end
1: yeah, for sure. I think, again, fortunate that it was a hub season and 24 games because uh, definitely it would have looked a lot different over a 60, you know, 70, 68 game stretch, uh, for sure. So, but um, it definitely uh, springboarded those guys onto their 17 year old seasons, the opportunity they got at 16. And, and um, Yeah, so I think, and and when you look at what Connor Hibitson's done without having that hub experience, I mean, we never were able to get him in the hub based on limited to how many 16-year-olds you could have. So what he's done without that experience, in my opinion, has just been tremendous.
0: You know, we we mentioned earlier a a, a few of the uh, coaches that have had a lot of success in Swift Current and beyond, and your next two games you're about to, to face two more of them in a uh, in a in a very good prince george team which you know those road trips don't get much longer from from uh, swift current to to pg and that's that's going to be a, a a tough challenge and then uh, and then manny the, the next game i mean what you know what kind of uh, a measuring stick is uh, is this swift current uh, swift current versus uh, prince george game coming up
1: i think if we're looking at it in that regard we're not focusing on the right things for sure um you know, PG's got a great team. They've got a great power play. We have to definitely be disciplined and make sure that we keep them uh, to the outside all night, uh, just because they're so explosive with their forward group and they're scoring a ton of goals right now. So, you know, Lammer um, has been tremendous. He's one of the guys that's been uh, fantastic to me from day one, and and obviously reached out and given a lot of advice, understanding what the market's all about, and and uh, so I, you know, greatly appreciated uh, the influence that he's had on me and. Manny uh I don't know Manny to talk to him but uh obviously everything I've ever heard about Manny he's a wonderful guy and an amazing person so I'm really looking forward to getting to meet him and uh, yeah it's it, again it's us going into Vancouver and playing Vancouver and PG not uh playing Mark Lamb and, and Manny Vieros so
2: but an interesting can you know different difference with your role versus what Mark Lamb and Manny Vieros did is their roles combine the general manager's duties with being the head coach, whereas your situation has combined the general manager's duties with being the director of scouting, the head scout. Um, It's still a ton of work and it's still, you know, splitting you in multiple directions. But how do you think that changes, um, you know, the approach and and the possibilities uh, for a general manager when instead of being on the bench, you're, you know, traveling a lot more and a lot more involved in the scouting process instead.
1: I think, you know, again, going back to that five-year, you know, span of a life cycle of a player in the league. So with the 0-4 draft class being my first draft, you know, now when we're in situations where you're looking at players for trade, you're looking at guys that come across the wire, and if you're drafting and, and scouting, you know, you've seen those kids uh, right from the Bantam draft work their way through the levels and and, you know done all the reports that you've done on them and, and uh, character checks and all reference checks and everything. So I think if there's a dual role, that's more conducive to, to having success. I think it's that, uh, that role. I know Ripper does it and Moose Jaw as well. and does a really, really good job with it there. Um, I know Barkley's on the road, and a lot. There's a lot of guys that, that, that as GMs, you know, Curtis Hunt works extremely hard. There's so many guys that get out there and do the job, but uh, you know, I, I think, being in a dual role as a head coach and being with your team day in, day out, and not being able to get on the road as much would be very challenging in regards to understanding, you know, the players that are available. You definitely have to really lean heavily on your director of player personnel to give you that information. So, um, you know, the, the ability for a head coach to stay with his team and focus on his team day in, day out... Um, and then me being in a dual role in regards to GM and scouting, I, I think, you know, for our market I and mean, right now, it makes the most sense for Swift well,
2: and You mentioned trades. I mean, scouting has been, you know, what you've done for most of your career as a, as a staff, uh, in the hockey business, you know, making that jump to the GM means you have to pull the trigger on trades as well. And, you know, you've been in rebuild mode for so long, but now it's, it's really into taking that next step. Um, So what's that process been like in terms of trying to find the right pieces or, you know, make the right deals? Um, And where do you think you guys have to get this year in order to take this group and make the most out of them? And and what are, you know, uh, some things that you have to keep your eye on uh, so that you have the right mix to get that done?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, first of all, that, when you come from Junior A and you've made trades in Junior A, like you make more trades probably in Junior A than you would in the Western League potentially. And so, you know, having that experience and analyzing and and making those decisions and having those conversations, uh, you know, it's a different scope again, obviously. And you're talking to some very different people and and some guys that have made a living uh, making some amazing trades and and doing some things for their teams uh, near the deadline. So that's been an experience obviously uh dealing with some people that i admire and have looked up to for a long long time but you know still have made a lot of trades myself and i'm comfortable with it um so that was fine but uh, as far as understanding what we need to do as a group for our team this year it, obviously ryan mccleary addressed an issue for us you know tyson la hopefully is a 20 year old guy that uh you know scored 25 goals last year and he's had a slow start in regards to being injured in camp and everything but uh You know, making those deals early to give us a little bit of depth, but not seeing a full team uh, six games into the season. This BC swing is going to be really important for me to see our full group and understand what we have and how things look when everybody's slotted in where they're supposed to be. That's going to give us a little bit more insight. But uh, obviously, you know, we're always looking to upgrade and and, uh, we're very happy with the guys that we have here. And that's an important message for our guys to look inward. Don't be looking for us to bring somebody in that's going to do the job for you. I do believe that we have guys here that can do the job first and foremost, and then we'll add complimentary pieces for sure. So until we see our group and we see where we're at with our full group and lineup, you know, I think I can speculate, but I'm not willing to share that on, on the air right now for sure. So you, know,
0: you mentioned Ryan McCleary and, you know, as a, Portland guy, I watched him, you know, grow up through his, his junior career, and and you know, being you know Swift Current royalty, and and you know, obviously the success that that Trent had and and stayed there. I mean, you know, what what has it meant so far? I know you haven't had to to, to see him on ice much, but what what has it meant to to the, the locals to have uh, to have a native son come back? You know, after um, after having his success here in Portland.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's it's something that's been. Uh, something that I've addressed since I've been here is the importance of drafting some local guys and making sure that we're looking to, to have as many area guys as you can. Like when I was uh, growing up in Manitoba, you look at, you know, those Brandon Weeking teams and they were, you know, mainly built from Manitobans. They had anywhere between 11 and 14 guys every year on that roster. So being local, I think is hugely important as long as, you know, you get the guys in the right spots and, and try to get as many as you can. You're not going to get every one of them because obviously, you know, Swift, uh, Regan Darby and Travis Morn and all these guys with Swift Hockey Co have done an amazing job with the minor hockey and the development process in Swift Current. So we're very, very fortunate with that. So there's a lot of good players coming out of here, but uh, it is important to have local guys and bringing Ryan back, I think, you know, is huge. Um, But for me, regardless of him being local or not, um, he's right-handed. He's 20 years old. He's played in a in a situation in Portland under a ton of structure and with a lot of high-end coaches there. And and he brings a lot of value added to our group, uh, regardless of him being from Swift current or not. So, um, you know, he's had an opportunity to play and be offensive. And I think Ryan's focus uh, going into pro camps was to start to defend a little bit harder and, and uh, be a bigger, older guy that uh, is a little bit harder to play against. So he's tried to round his game out and, and be a more complete player. And, and we're very uh, fortunate to have him and we're excited to throw that in the lineup. So once uh, you know, our fans see him night in, night out and he's making a major impact, then I think you'll see the, see, uh, the value of that uh, being a local guy for sure.
2: A chance to cement his legacy already, having been a part of that uh, midget double A team that went all season, only losing one game before winning provincials. So uh, he certainly has won in that building before, and I'm sure hungry to win it again. Um, and, you know, Trent being the the chair of the board of directors, unusual you end up trading for in in essence your boss's kid. Was that kind of an awkward process?
1: No, it, it wasn't because I never involved Trent. I never talked to him about it. I never asked him about it. Uh, Trent never had any influence on it. The one thing about Trent uh, as our president, and and uh, I'm very forthright with this and very honest about it, uh, we rarely talk hockey. He keeps everybody at an arm's length and and really has no factor in the decision-making process here whatsoever. So that's something I think there was a misconception with, you know, me bringing in the boss's kid or whatever, uh, you know, that had nothing to do with it as a 20-year-old right-handed defenseman, six two and a 6'3", that's had tremendous experience in the league and is looking to have his best season, uh, you know, uh, moving forward. So that, first and foremost, was the thought process behind bringing that player in and lefty-righty on the back end is very important for me um so yeah no trent uh, didn't have any bearing on the trade whatsoever no influence and uh i never questioned him about it just because it's uh unprofessional and it wasn't uh, something that trent uh, probably would want to be a part of anyways
2: well so. and really really important i imagine too chad because th- there was a perception you know years and years ago that the board was heavily involved in in hockey decisions i wasn't here in those years and i don't know what's true and what isn't true but i know in the time since i've been here they haven't been uh, heavily involved in hockey decisions. And and while that still goes around town sometimes, it's really key for you guys to be allowed to do your work. And and the the board has been very professional from what I understand in allowing you to do that and and really important that you are able to do that.
1: Yeah, no, they, they are, they're an amazing group. And, And like I said, they've been kept at arm's length and, but they don't need to be governed in that regard because everybody on that board understands that, uh, we have a job to do and the focus for them and the focus for our business group is to try to make our franchise uh viable um and year to year obviously the expenses climb and uh you can only get blood from a stone you know like you have what you have within our market to to fundraise and our corporate partnerships are very important to us so they're focused on the, the health of our organization from a financial standpoint more so than the hockey uh side of things they leave that to me and and obviously uh, if our group isn't doing a good job at some point, we're going to hear about it. So, but, uh, you know, obviously this is a huge year for us in both regards. So, uh, I've been very fortunate, uh, to have the group of uh, board of directors that I have and they understand uh, what they need to do. I understand what we need to do. And, uh, it's been a good relationship so far.
0: Yeah. I'll just say that that was, I was kind of sad to see that, you know, McCleary go leave, but I mean, there's, there is a lot of real nice defensemen on this Portland team and, and it was nice to find a good opportunity for him, and and uh, also this uh, Josh Davies kid is is kind of uh, Portland fans are pretty excited for what he's been bringing to the rink so far. It's uh, always a topic of conversation so far.
1: Well, for sure, and I mean, you know, Josh is a dynamic player, and you know, to get something, you have to give it up, and and obviously with our 4 forwards that we had here, and you know, there was a feeling that maybe Josh was behind a few of these guys and getting pigeonholed into a role, so. Uh, like I said earlier, it's a it was a hockey trade where both teams got what they both needed. I think obviously Josh gives Portland a little more physicality, and a little more grit than they've maybe had in the past, and and uh, obviously we needed some help on the back end, just solidifying some things. And um, like I said, it was a hockey trade where both teams, I think, are going to realize that uh, they got what they needed out of it, and and you move forward. So
2: well, and one underrated aspect maybe of that deal is you have an extraordinarily young and talented right side of your D uh, with Fluker at 17 and Kettles and McFall uh, at 16. So to bring in a veteran who can A, eat minutes, but B also be an example for those guys to learn from, you know, could pay off not just this year, but in, in helping with their development down the road.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's huge. And I think that's something that Ryan uh, has really matured here in the last couple of years. And, was something that, you know, was relayed to him to coming in here to be a role model and set the example and and uh, show a lot of these guys, uh, you know, what they need to do to, to be successful, and, and he's accepted that. And he's done a great job with it so far.
0: Yeah, and, you know, coming from that, again, that background here in, in town, working with literally two of the, you know, winningest coaches in the, the, the history of our league and then another couple of assistants that have been around for 20 years as well. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good pretty good pedigree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. all' no, it's exciting. I mean, obviously, um, you know, for everybody involved and it's just nice to have him back here right now. We're really looking forward to having our full group.
2: I know we, we've kept you a long time. I, and just to wrap up for me, I, I just wanted to touch quickly on, you mentioned you, you'd reject your coaching staff some and you have a, a head coach now who, who is into his third full season as a head coach or almost full season as a head coach. So, you know, no longer the, the young guy on the block and and you've made some changes in terms of the, the makeup of your staff. Um, what was the approach to to the coaching staff in the summer, and and uh, what are you hoping that can do for your group this year to take you to the next level?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we did a lot with less uh, the last couple of years, and, and we just decided as a group we, we have a lot of low-hanging fruit available to us since we current. Obviously, Regan Darby uh, has come on board and has made things work in regards to being able to be on the bench for most nights, and, and a guy that understands the game and has been in the game his whole life. And and uh, as a player, you know, these guys can relate to him. He's knows how to hold guys accountable, but he knows how to, get, uh, how to make guys feel valued as well. So he's just a really good person, really good man. Terrence McEwen, obviously, bringing him in, a very intelligent guy that, uh, you know, our group I think really appreciates uh, what he brings on a day-to-day basis. His demeanor is terrific. He's very intelligent. Um, and, you know, he's been exposed to James Patrick, who is one of the you know, ultimate professionals in the game and, and has learned a lot from, from his experiences in Winnipeg. And, and I think that's a group that obviously we've had a lot of success against that Winnipeg group, our team played them hard. And I know our young guys really looked up to that group as well and kind of wanted to be a team that was very similar to that. So I think it's been a unique fit with having him and then Craig Cuthbert coming on board as well, helping out in practice and mentoring uh, the guys and leadership and, we have all these guys in Swift Current, uh, a lot of low-hanging fruits uh, that want to help out. Travis Mullen uh, does our skill stuff on Tuesdays or whenever he can come in. Uh, you know, just it was important for me that our players were exposed to really good men, really good people, uh, guys that just want to make a difference and, and be here for the right reasons. And and uh, so I feel very very fortunate with that. I,
0: I, I guess I didn't know that the, that your your full staff there's a lot of a lot of really nice hockey players on there. And I was a, a big fan of, of Regan Darby actually when he was in the in the in the IHL in, in Kansas City and when when I lived there and it was uh, he, he 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 caused a ruckus a lot of nights out there on the ice and, and mixed it up with guys and uh, he was pretty 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 fun uh, fun player at that time. That's that's really interesting that he's involved with uh, with your club right now.
1: Well, he has a presence about him for sure. And our guys understand that that's what he was as a player. And, and you know, he just commands respect. And uh, But uh, the way he treats our players is is amazing. And, and, and the guys love having him around. So, no, it's uh, like I said, we're fortunate to have the guys we have. And, and for Devin, you know, to have the ability to have a bunch of guys around him that lets him focus more on some of the things that he can do. Like he, he was spread pretty thin there for sure. And Devin's an extremely hard worker. Um, and a guy that uh, is very focused. And so this gives him the ability to focus uh, a little bit more on some things that are more important to him uh, in regards to getting our team where we need to be and, and, and having the, the faith that uh, you've got some guys that are relaying the same message and, and uh, working as hard as you can to make a difference. So,
0: Well, Chad, like, like Sean said, we've kept you for a long time. It's it's uh, Thanksgiving, at least where you guys are at, and you know, you're working hard and giving us time on top of that so uh you know happy thanksgiving to those who celebrate and and uh really uh, uh, appreciate your time this evening
1: no thanks for having me on you guys you guys do an amazing job thank you
2: thanks chad thanks, happy thanksgiving yeah,
1: yeah.